You just want me to welcome everyone? Yes. <laughs> Actually, let's just pretend it's your show. And- Hi, good morning. This is Jim Perry. <laughs> it's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. If you weren't feeling the pressure of session coming to a close, you are now. If this was an airplane ride, you can see the runway in the distance, and I feel like we're starting to land. Quickly. Mm -hmm. Buckle up. (laughs) Things are moving. (laughs) Bills are going to be flying next week. There was a rumor this week. You and I were over on the Senate side, and the staffer told us that they thought this week was going to be the last week of Senate committees, and both of us... Full panic. We think next week, Senate is going to probably wrap up those substantive committees, and we'll be just looking at the rules committee at that point. And I'm sure the House will follow suit soon after. Mm -hmm. It's that time of year where if your bills are moving, they might have serial referrals or referrals to this committee. Those committees probably will get struck and you better be in rules and rules you never know when the rules committee is going to be meet so you got to be there but it is fun and this week was really fun too the general assembly was packed with people on wednesday yeah i was standing in the line for the lob and if you don't know about the general assembly there is a bridge that connects the legislative building to the legislative office building people walk between those two buildings And I was standing at the bridge to get into the LOB, which meant there were probably 45, 50 people in line in front of me. And there were a lot of complaints from lobbyists about how we don't have a fast pass to get into the buildings. We've said it once. We'll say it again. We love the security folks. They're so nice and kind and Not you, Ivan. (laughs) Uh, Those guys are great. I I really love them. And I do want a fast pass, but I I still want to see Mike and Ivan, all the good guys over there. So where do we begin this week? What's interesting is that this week there weren't big issues similar to last week it was a lot of local bills and stuff but there were committee meetings that were contentious throughout the week and a lot of bills were heard in committee those bills didn't particularly all go to the floor this week Mm -hmm. so both of the calendars were pretty light as far as the house and senate sessions but committee work they they really got down to it this week yeah we're involved in a bill over on the senate side senator todd johnson is taking the lead on this bill and he said Look, we got to get this bill moving. He got it out of the Senate Commerce and Insurance Committee, and he said, I'm going to be working on it throughout the process. We might do some floor amendments, might work it out in conference. But it's a time, if your bill's not moving, it really does need to be moving or have a path for this coming week. That's right. So neither chamber had session on Monday, uh, a voting session on Monday. And on Tuesday, the House had their session at the old Capitol. Kind of brought up a little controversy, though. The Constitution talks about them having to have votes at the General Assembly, which is that main legislative building on West Jones Street. The only way to have a session off campus at another site, even the old Capitol, is you have to have a joint resolution between the House and the Senate. But that didn't happen. 
I'm sure someone told them that before they did it. Did they take substantive votes on bills? I guess that's the big question. There were a couple joint resolutions and then something else. It wasn't substantive bills. Okay. So you could call into question if they had passed legislation. Let's say the House took up Medicaid expansion on Tuesday. Would that have been a valid vote? I guess the courts would decide that. But I think we're okay. We got out of it. It's always fun to see those photographs of the 120 members of the House packed into that very contained space in the old Capitol with those old wooden chairs and those little desks really made for good photography. Your weekly budget update brought to you by people who know nothing but pretend they know everything. (laughs) So again, it's Thursday afternoon and we're starting to hear some rumors come out of the General Assembly that maybe the budget has been agreed upon. It's not to say there's a budget floating out there, but in principle, they have agreed on most of the issues. Yeah, so when you say agreed upon, Brian, means that the House and the Senate appropriations shares have agreed upon a lot of things. And then the next step in that process is kicking things to the corner offices. So then Senator Berger and Speaker Moore sit down and argue over those things that they could not agree upon. Yeah, those are usually controversial issues. Basically, it comes down to two men, Phil Berger and Tim Moore. I think we said this last week. It is remaining to be seen whether or not the governor will sign a bill. We do know that the governor had... Uh, The Democrats over to the mansion this week, we presume it was to talk about his budget priorities. We know that his number one priority, if you've been living under a rock for the last six years, it is Medicaid expansion. Of course, Senator Berger said this week he wants to see Medicaid expansion in the budget. I assume that's going to be a part of the conversation this weekend between Senator Berger and Speaker Moore. I am not optimistic that they come to a resolution on that issue. It seems like it's being bogged down in some politics over on the House side, but we'll see what the reaction will be. Will the governor veto it? He has vetoed it in the past, the budget, because it didn't have Medicaid. Is he going to do it again? One of the controversial bills that we discussed a few weeks back, the Senate had passed, is House Bill 755, the Parents' Bill of Rights bill. So this week, the speaker made some news about that. I'd seen a gaggle of reporters around the speaker yesterday after the House session. And I asked the staff, like, what's going on? I mean, there's like 10 reporters circling the speaker. And he was making the announcement that the House doesn't seem interested in moving this parent's Bill of Rights this session. He gave a couple reasons. One, he, he said substantively that he thought there were a lot of protections for parents around transparency in the current law. But then secondly, it came down to politics. He said he didn't really want to get into a veto showdown with the governor when they have the votes to sustain the veto. And he added he feels really good about getting super majorities this November. So Why not just come back in January and pass some of the priorities that they can get done over the governor's objections? We did hear a staffing announcement this week. Andre Beliveau, 
who is the policy aide to Senator Paul Newton, announced this week that he is leaving his post to take a position at the John Locke Foundation. Andre is going to be working on some government relations work, and he starts that job after session adjourns, assuming that session is adjourning in early July. Andre is a friend of ours. He is also a friend of the podcast. He listens every week, and he has been a guest. We wish Andre the best. Thank him for his service to the General Assembly and to the state, Senator Newton, and for all his help to us. Good luck, Andre. So this weekend is Father's Day, and this week we wanted to sit down with Senator Jim Perry, who is a father of three daughters, but also has a very unique story about growing up in deep run North Carolina without a father. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Senator Jim Perry, welcome back to the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. We are having a special Father's Day episode, and we're bringing you in as someone who had an unconventional childhood and also your father yourself. So we're going to dig into those issues. So, Senator Perry, you and I have spoken a lot about cancer because we work together on cancer legislation for firefighters. Right. And in those conversations, Senator, you have talked about losing your father at a very young age to cancer. Can you talk a little bit about growing up in deep run North Carolina, having lost a father to cancer? Uh, sure, I'll, I'll back up and say that, you know, the conversation did start because we were talking about uh, cancer legislation for firefighters and the fact that it occurs at such higher instances than it does in other, you know, other parts of the population. And uh, we were trying to come up with a solution, but the we had to have a solution to a very real problem, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I could appreciate the problem that families faced when someone wasn't well and couldn't work and they had lost that income and the you know, the difficulties of, of dealing with such a, a terrible disease. And, and I think that's when I, I shared with you that I could you know, really appreciate that because of uh, what I went through. So um, my dad died when I was I was three months old. Wow. So but to uh, to back up a little bit, my my mother um, got married when she was 14 wow. and began having babies when she was 15. So. You know, my, it's not like my mom had an education. Um, it's not like we had family that she could fall back on. So I've got two older brothers. Hmm. So there's my, um, you know, my, my mom all alone in the world after my dad died. And uh, my my dad actually died when he was 24 years old. Wow. So, yeah, very very early age. And uh, it's, it's strange to think that I've outlived my father. Uh, it, do, it does put some things in perspective. Um, makes me a little crazy at times, you know, if I'm not feeling good, you know what I think automatically the problem is it's, uh, you know, I, I call it normal crazy. Okay. It's, uh, and you, you mentioned I have sort of a, a, 
non-traditional childhood. I think I've had a, a non-traditional life. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a, you know, we all deal with crazy things every day and we all have something going on behind our eyelids. Everybody's got a story. Yeah. You just don't know the other person's story, yeah. but having, um, you know, having grown up without a dad and just with a, a strong mother in the house, uh, you know, I, I, I know the difficulties that that caused, but I, also know the, the joys of having a you know strong mom to be there and, and try to play both roles and she and you know in my opinion she really did a, a great job I, I tell people that she loved me enough to spank me and tell me no and I, I'm sort of joking but not really you know she she did uh, and I think kids thirst for discipline and she did the best she could to fill both roles you know, she probably wasn't the best um, person to throw little league baseball with, but she, you know, she, she gave it what she had, and uh, she certainly tried. Going back to that growing up, when you experienced Father's Day every year, was there a sense of wanting, or did you have folks that kind of stepped into that role for you? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so, you know, when I was growing up, I, I did have some people in the community that I really looked up to and, and some fathers of guys that I was close to. Um, one gentleman in particular, his name was Cleveland Thompson, oh. and uh, he was the dad to one of my, my best friends growing up, uh, Greg Thompson, and Cleveland coached our, our baseball team. So, you know, he'd drive me to little league practice, but I, I was kind of like an adopted son because, you know, we we didn't have anything, right? Mm-hmm. So when I needed something, uh, he would always buy it for me. And he just he just took care of me like I was one of his sons. Um, I, and it was so cool because he was, I remember he was a vice president of a, an electric company back then. They had company cars. You know, when you're a poor kid from deep run North Carolina, that's a big deal. Yeah. Somebody's got a company car. But they had a place at the beach. Wow. They had a trailer. uh at, at Goose Creek, North Carolina, and one thing that stuck out, I remember the first time I went there, uh, Greg went back to his bedroom and pulled a drawer out, and he had an extra bathing suit there. I mean, that guy had more than one bathing suit. Right. That was, that's when I knew they were really rich, right? Because yeah. he, he just had clothes he just left there. Right. Um, and and his, his dad actually bought me one to keep there, too. So, it, But it was... It was just a different world for me, but I'll never forget his kindness. Uh, I'll also never forget him being willing to discipline me, <laughs> tell me no, and uh, correct me when I needed it, which was, you know, it was, it was fairly often when I was a young guy. But uh, he was, um, you know, he's left a great impression on me. He was just a, a fantastic man, and I, I appreciate everything he did for me. I imagine with your mother's situation, you didn't always have the perks you have now in life. What was it like growing up economically in Deep Run, North Carolina? So uh, back then it was a rural route that I lived on. You know, okay. we didn't have street names, and we called it uh, Tulls Mill Road because Tulls Mill, the mill pond, was about, I don't know, 500 yards from my house. Okay. You know, it wasn't far at all. So we lived out in the country. So everyone I was around lived like, like we did. You know, so you don't really have a lot of comparisons to make. Uh, it was a big deal when we, quote, went to town. You know, we, we all load up and drive into uh, to Kinston. Uh, fun fact, at one time, Kinston had the only mall east of Interstate 95. So they had one before Wilmington. The Vernon Mall. That The Vernon Park Mall. So it was a big deal to load <laughs> yeah. up and go into town, right? It, we, yeah. we, we enjoyed it. But, you know, I, I think growing up, we, we just played with everyone. Uh, we were out in the country. There, there were not, I think, 
now I know there were more have nots, you know, you just didn't know because there was no, uh, differentiation, but, um, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I, I remember my mom, when you see kids have kids today, you know, a lot of times they'll take those children to their parents and want their parents to raise the child. Um, my mom was in a difficult situation and she didn't have material things, but she gave us time. Mm-hmm. And I remember my mom was always there. And I, I remember things like on, on Friday nights, there used to be something on, I think it was ABC. You know, we got three channels mm-hmm. out in the country. Um, but it was Friday night at the movies. And we would all gather in the living room. And, uh, you know, we had like a 25-inch TV sitting on the floor. And, of course, it didn't work. So we had like a 13-inch black and white sitting on top of it, <laughs> rabbit ears. But we would, we would watch TV together. And my, my mom would make, um, you know, Jiffy Pop popcorn. Mm. I remember that like it was yesterday. Or she'd make a, a sheet cake from scratch and make icing out of semi-sweet chocolate bars and sugar and oh. melt them. And, but it, it was the time together, you know. And I can't imagine how hard that was uh, for her because I've, you know, we've raised kids. I had resources when I did it, and it was hard, right? right. It was, it's a shock to the system. But, you know, for my mom to go through um, losing my dad, she had a, a failed marriage before that. Mm-hmm. Um, so her, you know, her first uh, husband actually ended up uh, going to jail. Mm. Um, yeah, I've got a Jerry Springer family, man. It, it's, a, it's a crazy family story we have. But, um, you know, then she remarries and marries my dad. They have me and, and he passes away and there's my mom you know, uh, waiting tables, working as a payroll clerk during the day, waiting tables at Pizza Villa, um, you know, doing what she could to, to make ends meet. Uh, and I'll, I'll just always be, be thankful, you know, for that. And, and those, are, those are great memories of childhood for me. Do you know much about your father? I know you were obviously very young, three months old when he died. What do you know about him? So, you know, I really only know what my mom told me over the years or some, um, you know, like I've seen pictures or I know some of his family um, never really had close bonds. But so my my dad was in the Navy and uh, when he he got out of the Navy, he moved back to uh, to Kinston and uh, he drove a, a milk truck. So, you know, there's a lot of jokes about the milkman being somebody's daddy from my generation, but the milkman really was my daddy. <laughs> so uh, but he, he was like really into um, cars and going to the drag strip. And, um, you know, I, I guess he was happy. Um, but I, you know, I often think about what life would have been like um, had he lived and I uh, had more influence on my life because, you know, my understanding is he didn't have uh, much family life when he was growing up either. So it's, you know, we all do what we know. Yeah. And um, if you haven't been exposed to, uh, you know, strong family, it's hard for you to really know that to be valuable and put that first. So I, there's been times, you know, like on Father's Day, uh, he's actually buried about um, a mile from where we live. So I'll, I'll um, you know, I'll go out there on his uh, on the anniversary of his death, or sometimes on Father's Day, and just uh, just think, mm-hmm. yeah, just think. So. so moving into your life now, you have a family, you have 
these girls that it's so obvious how much you love your kids and they love you. Can you talk about the role of being a father and what that means to you? Uh, yeah. Um, I, I think that for me and I probably most dads, uh, you blink and they've, you know, they've grown up and you think about all the things you could have done or should have done differently, or you wish you had been at certain things. Um, I traveled a lot, you know, during my career. And so I, I, I missed events. You know, I wasn't there for some birthdays. Um, my wife really, uh, carried the load on that. Um, and I, I regret missing some of those things. And I, I try to hold on to them now. Uh, you know, I, I traveled for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think out of a 20 year career, I spent about five years in hotel rooms. So it was, it was a lot, you know, and traveled around the country and um, internationally and stuff for work. But, I, you know, I, I think we all try to fix the things we think were wrong from our childhood. And so we didn't have financial security, mm-hmm. right? So I think, yeah, I was really motivated to provide um, financial security. And I don't want them to ever know what it feels like to come up and see a you know, a disconnection notice mm-hmm. on the door. Um, you saw that as a kid? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah we, uh, yeah, we, <laughs> we had our power turn off, you know. <laughs> we, uh, I, I moved a lot as a kid, and I, I never really paid attention because it was always kind of like a new adventure. But, you know, some of my, my buddies joke with me now. They're like, oh, yeah, the rent came due. Your family had to move. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> maybe that's what it was. Uh, but, you know, I remember uh, renting trailers from friends. Um, we, we uh, my mom built a house. We, um, when I say we, I mean, we built a house one time. I had a stepdad for a long, little while. That didn't go well. Um, but it, it, you know, it, it, I think it all, it all shapes you. And uh, I wanted to try to be a provider. Yeah. And uh, I wanted my kids to not feel some of the, the pain that I felt. Um, and I, you know, I, I guess I justified it by saying, well, my wife is there as the primary caregiver. So I'm the mighty hunter going out and, you know, <laughs> bringing the beef back to the, right. but I, uh, you know, I love my kids Yeah, and I'm, I'm very thankful for them. When in your childhood, and, and I'm assuming it was in sometime in your early childhood when you decided, I don't want to be poor. I want to create. I think that was day two. I think <laughs> <laughs> day two. It sounds like you didn't necessarily know you were poor when you were a kid. Yeah. 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 So I, I didn't know I was poor, but I knew I was walking behind a tractor picking up scatter and tobacco field and it's freezing <laughs> to death in the morning and yeah. you know, hot as could be in the afternoon. And I do remember telling my mom, um, maybe when I was in middle school that I wanted a job where I could work with my mind, yeah. right? Uh, I went, mom, I want to use my mind <laughs> because my back was killing me at that point. You know, <laughs> yeah. I want to do something different. When I was younger, I, I really, you look at the heroes in your local community and the people you see and you think they're successful. And uh, I remember hearing about the overtime that the UPS guys got and I thought that was just killer and they had benefits. And then, you know, I dated a girl in high school and her dad was a postmaster. And, you know, they had great benefits and they had a good retirement. And, I mean, honestly, the guy didn't work a lot, so I thought that was pretty cool, too. (laughs) But, uh, (laughs) you know, I I really had no idea about those things because I didn't have anyone to teach me. And I I, I sort of, you know, I just, Brian, I I got lucky 
in life. And now I, I feel like I worked hard and positioned myself, but um, there's no doubt that God blessed me um, in ways I can't tell you I deserve. Yeah. But I'm certainly thankful for it. You know, it my life was changed um, by others who saw me working hard and thought I had uh, a little ability and they gave me opportunities. And I'll always be thankful for them too. The military played a role in your life. Right, so you leave high school and you yeah. So so being being a, a small town boy, uh, you haven't really seen a lot, and I think I've I've had some influences that uh, really helped me. Um, you know, I went off to basic training, and I was distinguished honor graduate of uh, basic training uh, and advanced individual training. So I was a military policeman, and it was the first time I'd ever really been measured uh, around others. You know, from other areas, and felt. I had an opportunity to excel and I, I did that to get a GI bill to go to college. And I, so I had a GI bill, I had Pell grants. I also had student loans and student loans were important because I, I used those to go on spring break and join a fraternity, which was a great way to use student loans, right? It's, yeah. <laughs> it's sure. irresponsible as you can be, but um, being able to see people from different walks of life with different talents and convictions, but, feel like for once I was worthy to be in the same room meant a lot because when you're a small town boy and you know you know you always know more about your family than anyone else does and you know you're embarrassed or you remember something that you know oh god you really wish it wasn't that way in your childhood you carry all those things with you throughout life and to you know to be on a broader um, I guess spectrum like that and be compared against others and be able to I feel like you did well or excelled. It, it did a lot for my confidence. Mm-hmm. It, it you know, made me think maybe I was worthy. And that you know, helped springboard my career. How much of you today is the person I see, which is a successful businessman, someone who is powerful, raises a lot of money, and seemingly living a charmed life? How much of you do you relate to that guy you are today versus the kid growing up in a trailer poor without a father so i i think we're all in conflict and our battle scars from the past shape us Mm -hmm. right and the way you react to things uh you know i really don't like to think about those old days (laughs) not that not that pleasant but it, it does shape us and it 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 really i think makes you who you are and how you react to things i think i tend to want to I shouldn't say this, but I, I want to please, you know, I, I want to please um, the folks in charge. I, I want to do a, a good job. I, I want to please the folks in my district. Um, I also don't want to be disrespected, right? you know, because I was disrespected a lot as a kid. You know, right. my entire family was. So I, I tend to have reactions to those things or being, uh, being shut out because I, I grew up thinking that, you know, if, if you if you outwork everyone, you've got a chance to be successful. Yeah. I believe that today. And if I'm put in an environment where that's not the case, I tend to not like it, right? It, it violates everything that I am, everything that I was taught to believe. I try to be respectful of folks because I, I want to be respected. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, you know, I think it's complicated. It all shapes you. Uh, I know I, I don't want to go back. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I tend to uh, 
I, I, I tend to be one of those guys that likes to pay cash for stuff and mm-hmm. live beneath my my means um, so I can care for my family. I, I don't want my daughters to roll up and see that red tag on the door, mm-hmm. you know, when electricity's cut off and you got to call to get it reconnected. I, I don't want them to experience that. And in some ways, I think that's great for them. In some ways, I think I ruin them. Um, because, you know, some, sometimes, you, you know, I, I think I was comfortable with all walks of life because I knew what the real world was like. And I, I wonder sometimes if, if some kids get it. Um, I think my children are appreciative. I think at times they're spoiled. Uh, they think at times I'm probably the best dad in the world and sometimes the most horrible. So it's, it's fair to, you know, have that range. Um, we're all just trying to get through life. Right. I didn't get a manual with those kids. I don't, my wife and I don't know what to do. We read all these baby books, you know, and I think my kids read them because it just didn't work. Mm-hmm. You know, um, every, everything is uh, best handled on an individual basis. I think. Since you've been in Raleigh, people have rumored that you would like to be a part of leadership. Everyone knows, I think folks that listen to this podcast probably know that you're a dynamic fundraiser. And so because of that and the way that you have worked with the House and moved big pieces of legislation, people think, yeah, he's doing something bigger. What would you say to that? So, you know, I, I hear a lot of rumors. and um, You tell us one now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think uh, one of the most recent rumors I heard was that I was uh, raising money and establishing a, a fund to challenge Senator Berger. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, I've, I've heard that one. I've heard we would some, advise against that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've heard that I, I want to run for lieutenant governor and then governor. Um, we like that. I've, I've heard a lot of a lot of different things. But um, it, it's funny because it's about the third time some of them have, have cropped up. And when they do, and I, and I hear about them, um, I call Senator Berger and I go sit with him. And I look him in the eye and I say, hey, you know, I'm hearing this. I just want to come tell you I'd heard it again. And, you know, this is maybe what I suspect is causing it or who might have said that. Um, I realize that I can make some people uncomfortable. I get that. But I do not make Phil uncomfortable. And he laughs when I tell him about this. Um you know, the, the funny thing is I, I have never had a crossword with Senator Berger. I'm not going to. I have a great deal of respect for him. Um, Phil Berger leads the Senate because he's the most qualified person there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've told him um, this will kill the rumors at least for a week. Uh, I said, look, Senator Berger, I mean, I will support you to be my pro tem as long as you want to be here. I, I can't imagine the Senate without Senator Berger, people underestimate the value and importance of experience Mm -hmm. and the things he knows (laughs) and he's dealt with. I have a lot of respect for him and uh, he'll have my support as long as he wants to be here. Where do you think these rumors are coming from, though? I think I'm a little different. You are different. I want to talk a little bit about that. But where do you think you're different? Well, um, you know, I, I had some established relationships when I came in. Um, you know, people figured out later that uh, Leader Bell and I were very good friends. We were <laughs> friends before he was elected. I've been friends a long time, a lot of trust. Um, you know, I do work hard to raise money. Mm-hmm. And uh, I work hard to raise money because, when, well, I realize that's part of it. That's what it takes. You don't make policy in the minority. Um, but, you know, I met 
Senator Rabin a, a decade ago when I had issues in the General Assembly. But when I got here, Bill and I went out to dinner one night, and he said, Jim, you just need to work hard, raise a bunch of money, and you'll be fine. So I take advice well <laughs> from people like that. And, uh, you know, I just try to, to work hard. I, I have my own views of the world. I have opinions. I'm comfortable discussing different opinions. I'm comfortable with disagreement. Everyone's not. I get that. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I got a lecture when I got up here about the, the grace and benefit of the soft no. I hate a soft no. Mm-hmm. If you tell me something is a jump ball, I believe you. Mm-hmm. I keep jumping. Right. I try to win. That's that's my personality. Um, but everyone's not natured that way. And if, if they're not or they have a different communication style, they it makes them uncomfortable. I know that. I deal with it. I, I think it's simultaneously one of my biggest strengths and biggest weaknesses uh, is my my drive, my competitive nature. I think it's it, a blessing and a curse, man, I'm telling you. I mean, we saw it with the cancer legislation. I mean, we were spiraling in the Senate. We got you involved. You started convening meetings with the House and the Senate. And... I really have to give you a lot of the success we had because you got involved early. I mean, we were having meetings prior to when session was even beginning. Well, I I also remember looking at you and a group of firefighters in the eyes and punching you in the nose and saying that I didn't think that was a good approach. Yeah. And I told you why. Now, some people take that and they're thankful and they say, hey, I'd rather hear the honest truth from someone as they see it right i can't tell you i'm right but um some people get mad about that and this i you know i prefer to know what i'm dealing with i just you know give tell me the rules i can play the game uh i've always feared someone that wouldn't be honest with me Mm -hmm. the guy who will look you in the eye and disagree with you and tell you he thinks your idea is terrible he is being honest with you right (laughs) you can you know, you know where he is. The guy who just smiles at you all the time, says nothing. That guy might have a gun tucked in his pocket. You don't know where he is. I mean, I keep my eye on him. Again, we know you as this conservative, free market, Republican. But in conversations with you and in your floor speeches and on your social media, you talk about Eastern North Carolina being left behind economically, educationally, infrastructure can you talk about your brand of conservatism yeah i don't think we can want success for someone more than they want it for themselves i don't think you can give someone everything in life and them really appreciate it um i I want to give people an opportunity to fight their way up Mm -hmm. and i think when you do that you do appreciate it i'm in conflict though because the reality of where i live is that there aren't many new jobs right and um the the folks working in a a fast food restaurant you know when i was growing up that was considered an entry-level job um and it was to make some money you know get your first job and then you move on to something else but the reality for eastern north carolina is there's not always something else so i i get in conflict because i i understand the reality of where we are um I, I realize that my my farmers don't don't make any money. You know the what they get paid for commodities hasn't really gone up in twenty years, but the, the price of that combine sure has. 
Um, so and the price of gas to run that combine. That's right, especially right now. You know whose fault that is. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just sort of joking. Um, no, I mean we we face a, a different reality than folks in the Triangle area, um, even in the counties immediately surrounding those counties. They've seen a lot of growth. Um, so I, I want to. I, I believe in the free market. I believe in capitalism. I I believe that. You know, you, you should be given the opportunity to work your way up. I also understand that the opportunities in numbers are different and in percentages in some areas over others. So I, I just, I want to be a conservative who has a message that, hey, you need to punch your way out of this issue, but I want to be realistic about what the issue is. And maybe it does take a little something different you know, in the rural areas, as opposed to what I would feel comfortable with in a more economically advantaged area. And, you know, I don't believe in systemic anything, Mm. um, but I do believe that there are different levels of opportunity. You know, if if you were to bet on me from my childhood, and so mom's first husband goes to jail, my dad dies, single mom, no education, raising boys, I don't end up where I am now. You'd never bet that, right? right? That That is not a bet that you would take. So I I live the dream. I think the dream is available. Is it easy? No. Is everyone guaranteed it? No. I can't tell you why it was me versus someone else. I've got friends that they put on roofs for a living. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about hard work? That guy works hard. Mm-hmm. He works hard every day. For some reason, God gave me a special opportunity. And I'm thankful for it. But I've got to be realistic about the opportunities that exist for others. Since this is our Father's Day episode, I will just ask you in closing, what does fatherhood and Father's Day mean to you? So it's simultaneously the hardest thing I've ever done in my life and the best thing. You know, it's the coolest thing to uh, see my kids grow up and uh, watch their personalities develop and see them you know, become self-sufficient. Um, I want them all to be self-feeders. Kids, get off my payroll. Um, <laughs> you think your kids listen to our podcast? <laughs> uh, actually, yeah, I know one of them does. So that was for you, baby. Um, <laughs> no, and, and, you know, I want them to have those same goals. I, I know I haven't been a perfect dad, and I never will be. But, uh, you know, I absolutely love them. I do know that. And yeah. I, I want good things for them. Yeah. Well, Senator Jim Perry, we appreciate everything you do in North Carolina politics at the General Assembly. You certainly know how to do politics better. Sir, we wish you a very happy Father's Day. Thank you. I appreciate that. Happy Father's Day to you. And I'll just say to uh, anyone listening, you know, regardless of any grudge you have, go hug your loved ones. Go hug your dad or anybody who acted like a dad for you, stood in that role, and, uh, and thank them, because we're lucky to have those people. The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for 
for more information. I really enjoyed this conversation because it was so heartfelt and Also, I really highlighted in this conversation that he is so passionate about being a father and his girls love him so much. And so translating growing up without a father to becoming a father of three girls, I think is a nice story. And he shows that every day. Tweet of the week. So this week's tweet of the week, I will say started from Charlotte Public Relations. They're at CLT Public. And then Colin Campbell quote tweeted it. He's at Raleigh Reporter. If you've been in the legislative building, in each quadrant, each downstairs quadrant, there is a little fountain of sorts at the bottom of that fountain. You can look at the picture online. It's not the most crystal blue water you've ever seen. But there are pebbles at the bottom of that. And so they put pool of legislation in the fountain. And Colin Campbell said each of those pebbles represents a bill sent to the Rules Committee to die. And then Senator Mike Woodard, at Mike Woodard, put up a picture. What would you say this is? It appears to be some barren stone mountain. Of rocks. It said more like this. And then... Virginia Reed responded and said, every time a bill actually leaves rules and makes it to a vote, an angel gets its wings. <laughs> so that whole thread is our tweet of the week. Yeah, that was good. Especially this time of year, because so many lobbyists are down there trying to, and legislators for that matter, are trying to dislodge these hundreds of bills that are in the, the House and Senate Rules Committees. You know, you mentioned Senator Woodard's tweet there, his reply We were going to use a tweet by Senator Woodard this week. It was a funny tweet, but it was not a funny scenario that he found himself in Sunday afternoon in Durham. Senator Woodard was in a car accident over the weekend. He said he spent a few days in the hospital, and now he's recovering at home. We didn't know this until Senator Tom McInnes made the announcement on the Senate floor this week, but we were relieved to hear that Senator Woodard is okay. He's recovering. And Colin Campbell had a reporter had reported that the incident on Twitter and then Senator Woodard replied with a uh, kind of a ghoulish image of a fictional character from Dungeons and Dragons and said, I'm just a little bruised up, but I'll be okay. We do wish Senator Woodard a speedy recovery. He is a great friend of ours. He is a listener of the podcast and he's been our guest on the podcast he's a great guy and we all wish him the best so what are you doing for father's day don't quite know yet you know the kids are home from college and they have these summer jobs and they're my son i know (laughs) summer job got in the way of me hanging out with your daughter last night yeah you guys were gonna go to the taylor swift show and uh, but she had to work, she said, until eight o'clock last night. But um, yeah, I think we'll we're kind of a low key family on some of these holidays, but I'm sure we'll get together for dinner. And all I want, I was telling a representative today, all I want is a hug and maybe those three magic words that fathers and mothers want to hear, which is I love you. So we'll see what happens. So we had a great time this week at the Association of Executives of North Carolina Legislative Reception. We were a bar sponsor. Yeah. At that event. Yeah, yeah, well. Got money to blow. If you had a beer at the event, you had it on us, or at least partially. Brought up an interesting conversation about 
How does one get out of conversations? Out of the two of us, Brian is the talker. So Brian was in this conversation with this person. Not a legislator, by the way. Not in the General Assembly. But he's been in the conversation for like 20 or 30 minutes. I mean, it was a long time. And I said to our client, who I'm talking with, two of our clients, and he's with another one in this conversation. I'm like, you know, the place is clearing out. They've been going. They're talking about I don't know what, but I know I don't want to subject myself to it. (laughs) Because this is what Brian does. (laughs) He will pull you in. Or sometimes you will try to get Brian out of a conversation, and he'll make you take it and then leave. (laughs) And so like, I didn't want one of those situations for myself. So I told our client, I was like, can you get Brian out of this conversation? And Brian sort of turned his body towards us, like opened up the circle. Yes. And that's inviting you to come in to the conversation, which I rejected. No, thank you. I I go from a three person conversation. I'm opening it up to everyone now. Please come in. (laughs) (laughs) That's the thing. I knew the sign. I told him, I was like, get in help him and he said he was trying but he did not succeed sometimes i have a challenge you have a challenge with a lot of things this is this is brian first of all he can turn a five minute conversation into a 45 minute conversation and at the end the person's like i've got to go i admit i have a hard time landing conversations sometimes i keep them going but you will just say okay i'm done Or if we're talking on the telephone. Yeah, I say this conversation is over and hang up. Yeah, you won't even say goodbye. You won't even let me say goodbye. You I say goodbye. You're so dramatic. Oh my gosh. No, this is no somewhere I'm glad you brought it up. I'm glad you brought it up. Because this is what Brian will do. It's six PM. I say, I'm gonna walk home now. Put on my backpack. I'm getting ready to leave the office. Well, sometimes we'll just talk for a minute about whatever. So I'll be talking. They'll get ready to walk down the stairs to leave the office. And then he'll say, no, 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 no. Don't go. Don't go. I have something else to tell you. I'm like, dude, we've been together all day. <laughs> I see you more than I see anybody else in my life. We talk 24-7. What could you possibly need to tell me right now? I'm just not ready for you to go. I just want to tell you something else. But you don't. He just does that. And (laughs) as a delay tactic, it's so odd. So I think somewhere between you and me, there's probably there's the sweet spot. You abruptly just say, okay, bye and leave (laughs) or hang up. And maybe I say, huh, that's interesting. Really? And then that keeps the conversation going. Yeah. Sorry. So we need to work on this. I'll, I'll work on my end. You work on your end, though. Yeah. Start uh, doing regular goodbyes. No, you, I, I have done that. What else do you need from me? Remember when you used to say, see you never? Yeah, you asked me to stop saying it, and I did. It made me sad. Well, could have happened. <laughs> <laughs> When we leave for the weekend for Father's Day, let's practice me just letting you go and you practice doing regular goodbyes. Thanks for listening to the podcast, for subscribing, sharing it with folks. We really appreciate it. And as I said last week, if you see us at the GA and you can think of something that you want us to talk about, we are happy to take suggestions. We will talk to you next week. But in the meantime, remember to do politics better.